This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. At the end of the podcast, I'll tell you where you can find me on Sunday nights doing live radio. I also do a little thing called Headlines with Heidi during the week. I do videos. I post them up at Rumble. And last week, I talked with Dr. Kelly Victory, and I did it on video, but I wanted to put it on this podcast because I know everybody doesn't catch everything I do, podcasts or videos or whatever. Really important conversation with Dr. Kelly Victory. I'm just starting from the beginning here. Here's how it goes. This is how it sounds on my Headlines with Heidi series on Rumble. Welcome to Headlines with Heidi. I'm Heidi Harris. I'm glad you've tuned in. I try to talk about things that really matter on a continuing basis. You can find these videos at HeidiHarris.com. I also post them at Rumble, Headlines with Heidi. And one of my favorite people to talk to because really, frankly, there's not a lot going on in the world that's more important than what's happening with the vaccines vaccines. Uh, But Dr. Kelly Victory has been very, very bold, very courageous throughout. And boy, every single week, Dr. Kelly Victory, you've been proven right. But I want to give people your bio first. You've been a doctor for what, 30? You don't look like it, but over 30 (laughs) years, you know, certified in things like public health emergencies, right? Emergency uh, medicine, things like that. And uh, you've just been incredibly brave to speak out and shocked at what some of your colleagues have continued, continued to say throughout. So thanks for being here today again. Well, thanks for having me. What I've started telling people now, Heidi, is that I identify as a conspiracy theorist (laughs) and my pronouns are told you so. Uh, so, (laughs) Boy, you know, uh, I know. it gives, I'm sure it gives you no joy like it gives me no joy to say that, but you have been ostracized by people in the medical community, people you sat with, and you've joked about this in the past, people you sat with in virology class, and you'll see them at a cocktail party, and you'll say, what are you doing? Right. We learned something right. different. Right. And this, and I truly, it does give me no joy to be right in, in this. Um, it is uh, inexplicable, frankly, that my colleagues and that people largely in medicine um, have seemed to have forgotten everything we were taught and everything they ever knew. We knew from the very beginning that masks don't stop the spread of respiratory viruses, that social distancing is a totally made up construct, doesn't exist anywhere in public health, um, that the lockdowns were far more damaging than they would uh, be good. These are all things that have been known for decades. So you're right. I looked very early on at my colleagues and said, what are you talking about? You're wearing a mask to decrease the risk of the spread of this thing. You know that that's, you know, really, this is theater. And people were, you know, removing every other chair in their waiting rooms and things of this uh, of this sort. So, yeah, it's inexplicable. And unfortunately, I hold my fellow physicians accountable mm-hmm. uh, for what happened in this debacle, because yeah. if it were not for them, uh, I think that we we would have had a very, very different trajectory of this pandemic. Absolutely. And I hold some of my colleagues in the radio business responsible for what they're doing. Some of them have just, you know, not really said too much, but others have actively been out there pushing the shot on people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, because I'm not going to go into specifics of certain people I know in the business who have a lot of reach. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, we were lied to. And and I don't want to mention their names, but you know what I'm talking about. And how could you have believed this is what I don't understand. Some of these people, and they have a responsibility. All the people in the media, whether it's in my business, mainstream, uh, you know, TV, whatever, they have a responsibility. Their audience sometimes does pay attention to what they say. And they have blood on their hands as far as I'm concerned. 
No, I agree. And let me start by saying, Heidi, and you know this well, I am not anti-vaccine. I'm extraordinarily pro-vaccine. I have spoken and written prolifically throughout my career on the importance, for example, of a vaccine program. That said, um, if nothing else, I am pro-science and pro-safety, pro-data, and those things were missing. There's a reason why the average vaccine takes six to eight years to come to market if it ever comes at all. So when my colleagues and people in public health and people at the helm of this pandemic response started talking about rolling out a vaccine program this quickly with an paucity of safety data, really no long-term studies whatsoever, or the idea of giving the vaccine on, to groups of people on whom it had never been tested. These are things, these are, these are violations of you know the basics of medicine, right. the ethics of medicine. We never give a therapeutic. I don't care if it's an antibiotic, a chemotherapy regimen, something for hypertension. We never give it to groups of people on whom it's not been tested, like pregnant women, for example, lactating women, people with underlying autoimmune diseases, people who'd already had the illness and recovered from it, and on and on. So it was this divergence from the standard of care from, from established uh, standards. You know, the idea of requiring uh, people to show some element of a, a positive risk benefit calculation. We knew that the vast majority of people were at such a low risk of a severe outcome from COVID uh, that you couldn't justify giving an experimental therapeutic like these, quote, vaccines. Um, but for reasons that are not entirely clear yet, uh, there was a complete divergence from those standards. And I had, took huge issue with it early on. And now, as you well know, we have ever mounting evidence of just overwhelming adverse events related to these vaccines. Millions of people have been harmed. And unfortunately, we are seeing just the tip of the iceberg. And that's what I'm concerned about. A couple of things. I watched a video last night. I'm going to try to get this woman on my podcast, but her baby was killed by a transfusion. And they wouldn't let her use blood that wasn't vaccinated. Now, the Red Cross has come out and said, and I keep this little screenshot on my computer just for this reason. We don't label blood products as containing vaccinated or unvaccinated blood as the COVID-19 vaccine does not enter the bloodstream. We know better than that, doctor. And, and I'm horrified by this. So can you please address that? Because this is, is outrageous that her baby died and they gave her a transfusion against her wishes. And, it, it, and I'm sure that's not the only story. Well, it's tragic, certainly that case is. It is absolutely unconscionable that the Red Cross would make this statement. Obviously, it enters the bloodstream. Obviously, the vaccine and the mRNA enter the bloodstream. That's how it ends up in every single major organ system within right. a matter of hours. Yeah, your and brain the, and everything. That's crazy. It, Brain, heart, lungs, liver, spleen, colon, the adrenal glands, the ovaries, the testicles, everywhere within a matter of hours. And it doesn't get there by osmosis. It gets there via the bloodstream. Right. Um, so the idea that we have uh, this tainting, frankly, of the blood supply is a big concern. To step back and, and give a little bit more explanation to this, we knew from the very beginning 
that it was the spike protein on the outside of the coronavirus of COVID-19 that was highly toxic. That's what causes the problems. So the people who got COVID and developed blood clots or got COVID and developed myocarditis or got COVID and had hemorrhaging, that was related to the spike protein. That's the toxic piece. When you contract COVID, fortunately, you clear that virus and those spikes, therefore, relatively quickly, three to five days. That's how long it takes the healthy immune system to clear a virus. So although you've got those toxic spike proteins while you're sick with COVID, you eliminate them very quickly. Now we have this vaccine. The vaccine gives you the roadmap, the, the instruction manual for you to start making those spike proteins. Got it. Okay. So that you will then develop antibodies to them. The problem is with the mRNA, there is no off switch. Mm. Unlike when you get COVID the virus and you eliminate it in three to five days, when you get vaccinated, you now permanently have the instruction manual, make spike protein, make spike protein, make spike protein. And although your antibodies eliminate some, it's still make, you are now a factory to continue in perpetuity to make these toxic spikes with no off switch. Wow. They knew this before the vaccines were launched. We now have the studies because of the FOIA uh, demands. We now have the studies showing they knew that the mRNA was not eliminated from the body within a number of days, the way that we were told. They knew it didn't stay in the deltoid muscle, the way we were told. They knew that it could actually get and did actually get incorporated into the DNA of cells, despite what we were told. So now we have people who are vaccinated who months later are still making the toxic spike proteins. Mm -hmm. And that is why we are seeing huge increases in myocarditis, huge increases in autoimmune issues, huge increases in cancers, huge problems with fertility. It's because of these spike proteins. And the at this point, because the studies were never done, I cannot tell you, and neither can they, how long you will continue to produce these. I can certainly say it's upwards of, you know, six or eight months because that's what we're seeing in the people who are vaccinated. Now, on top of that, we have evidence, which many of us feared, which is that those spike proteins can be transmitted to others who are not vaccinated. Number one, through, as you just indicated, through a blood transfusion. If somebody receives a blood transfusion, somebody who's not vaccinated gets a blood transfusion from someone who is, they are getting a huge dose of the spike protein and potentially the mRNA so that they would then start making the spike proteins as well. And we know now that the spike proteins and the mRNA are excreted, for example, in breast milk. So a vaccinated mother will now give this to an unvaccinated baby if she is breastfeeding. Wow. Now, when a baby, I have a friend who's about to have a baby in a couple of weeks. I don't know how many shots she's had, but I know she's had several. And so when the when the baby is, you know, in the gestation period, what happens with the mRNA and the spike protein? Aren't those part of the baby's makeup as the baby's developing? Yes. 
Yes, with, without doubt. And so now Dr. Peter McCullough has really um, uh, submitted really a, a, a very alarming concern that if you have two, uh, now that we know that the mRNA is in fact incorporated into DNA, uh, there's clear evidence through studies uh, in liver cells that the mRNA actually is reverse transcribed and it fundamentally changes the genetic coding within the DNA of the liver cells, it is then plausible to say that a vaccinated mother and a vaccinated father who then conceive a child, they now have altered DNA, the two of them do, and that they could be now conceiving a baby that already has coded within it the mRNA to wow. make these spike proteins. Wow. Now, again, this is this is a plausible concept given what we now right. know. These are things, Heidi, that would normally have been sorted out during that six to eight to 10 year testing period. This is why vaccines take a long time because it takes a long time to do this kind of testing, to answer these questions. You, you would have, during the routine development of a vaccine, you would have said, oh my gosh, this is actually reverse transcribed. What about this? And you would look at it and you would take the 24, 36, 48 months that it would take to get that answer so that you would know with surety if this is something that could or will happen. These things were rushed to market and people will defend them. Uh, I think, you know, with a, with a straw man saying people defend and say, well, we didn't know it was a crisis. It was an emergency. We couldn't wait. Yes, we could. We knew from the beginning that not everyone was at significant risk. In fact, most people were at very, very low risk. We knew that people at significant risk were the elderly and those who were in nursing homes, extended care facilities, and people with a very well-known set of comorbidities. If my parents were in their 90s living in a nursing home when COVID first hit, I might have suggested take this experimental vaccine. Because here's the newsflash, Heidi. I wouldn't have been really concerned about long-term fertility impact on my 92-year-old mother. I wouldn't have worried whether or not my 93-year-old father would five years later develop a neurodegenerative or autoimmune issue. The risk would have been worth the benefit. That isn't the case for young, healthy people under the age of, say, 50, and certainly was never the case for children, people under the age of 18. So the risk-benefit calculation was never done on these. I don't think it was justified. I think it was unconscionable. I believe it was a breach of our fundamental oath to first do no harm. Mm -hmm. And as I said, we are just now starting to see the mounting evidence of the adverse events. Right. We're seeing these deaths every day. I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but uh, piggybacking on what you said about the mRNA being spread, Dr. McCullough just the other day, I saw an interview where he was talking about how they're now thinking that you can spread the mRNA if you're kissing people, possibly sexually. Can you talk about that, what we know at this point? Yeah. Well, again, these are those things that should have been sorted out during a pre-release testing period. Um, we know that the mRNA and the spike proteins are excreted in breast milk. What ha- studies that haven't been done, is it 
you know, transmitted through semen. So right. could a, you know, could a vaccinated male having intimate um, contact with an unvaccinated female transmit it through semen or vice versa through, through other bodily fluids, vaginal wow. fluids? Can it be, is it excreted in saliva so that if you are intimate, being, you know, intimate with someone. We don't know the answers to those things, but they are questions that absolutely need to be addressed. Um, and the idea that the uh, that the vaccine manufacturers really under only because of these aggressive FOIA demands, have they been willing to finally, uh, you know, make the research available. They knew much of this ahead of time. As I said, we know from the FOIAD uh, biodistribution study uh, from Pfizer, they knew way in advance that the vaccine didn't stay in the deltoid muscle. They knew that it went to every major organ system in a matter of hours. And they knew that alarmingly 11% of it concentrated in the reproductive organs, specifically wow. the ovaries and the testicles. Yeah. So that's something, wouldn't you think that's something they would have wanted to look at and address very early on? Could this vaccine have profound impact on fertility? Uh, yeah. But instead, wow. they tried to deep six the studies and again, only are making them uh, publicly available uh, because of aggressive FOIA demands. Unbelievable. Now, what about the idea? And, and it's been floated around and I don't know what the latest is on it, that if you work with people who are vaccinated, you're not or you live with people who are vaccinated, you're not. Do we do we have any kind of data on that? Well, you know, no is the answer. People have been talking about this concept of vaccine shedding. Mm -hmm. um, and I really have not paid a lot of attention to it primarily because I am hard pressed to come up with a mechanism. You know, mm -hmm. how are they, are the spike proteins in the mRNA just sort of falling off of your skin? <laughs> are you exhaling? No, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, are you right. supposedly exhaling them? That doesn't make sense to me. That's very different, Heidi, from saying, that bodily fluids would could potentially contain these things. Right. So saliva, right. semen, blood, urine, feces, those sorts of things could contain them. But the yeah. idea that just working next to somebody, you know, in the office, sitting on the train next to somebody, you know, those sorts of things, you know, I don't, we don't shed these things, you know, yes, you shed skin cells, but my skin doesn't absorb what you, you know, shed next to, you know, in your got skin it, cells. Got it. So what, I'm just what about not if you're, What if you're that? sharing a computer? What if you're sharing a computer and somebody's touching the same computer, or somebody's you, touching uh, the same door handle through sweat or anything like that? Do we know uh, again, I mean, you, you, it's. I suppose it's conceivable that you could mm -hmm. pick up, uh, but I. I think that the concentration, the amount would be so de minimis. I just don't see it as a risk. Right. Again, things have changed so yeah. much with this thing. You know, my worst fears, um, you know, really pale compared my, my worst fears right. from six months ago pale to what's actually happening today. So oh, I can't true. say that it couldn't happen. Um, but that's, I think far less likely than this concept of intimate contact uh, really being a risk. Yeah, that's pretty scary. So, you know, the sudden deaths. I mean, just yesterday I read a story about a guy who worked with Dog the Bounty Hunter. He drops dead on a Zoom call. Right. I mean, the stories every day, all day, you and I see them. You and sometimes you and I'll text them back and forth to each other. I mean, right. and, we're, and we're not getting any joy from doing this. It's just unbelievable. When are people going to, okay, let me back up before I get to that. 
what happens with the autopsies? Because it used to be that if you, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you died and you were not under a doctor's care, there was an autopsy conducted. Or is that only, I mean, I thought it was always, but maybe, uh, certainly if they don't suspect, a, you know, like they suspect murder, yes. But other, otherwise, are we still doing autopsies on these people? And if we do, can we find out why they drop dead suddenly on a Zoom call or anything else? Most people don't end up with an autopsy. Oh. Autopsies are very expensive and it's really up to the discretion of the medical examiner and okay. of the family. If the family doesn't push for it frequently and there's no concern about uh, malfeasance, meaning mm -hmm. this isn't an issue about whether or not there was a murder or homicide, mm -hmm. then largely they don't happen. Furthermore, even with the autopsies that happen, many of the medical examiners were not conducting the appropriate stains to actually look for evidence of number one, spike proteins or of vaccine injury. I just did a uh, hour and a half long extensive interview with Dr. Ryan Cole, who is a pathologist, who is the person who I, uh, you know, I really looked to. He has done thousands of autopsies now and looked at tissue stains and tissue slides from people with vaccine injuries. And not only is he able to demonstrate this prolific evidence of, of these spike proteins, again, in every organ system, the heart, the lungs, the spleen, the ovaries, placentas, everywhere, but he's able to differentiate Heidi. And he says that the stains were always available to differentiate between spike proteins that occurred because someone had COVID, the virus, oh, and the okay. spike proteins that are produced as a result of the vaccine. Interesting. Okay. They have a different coding. So the people who have argued all of these people dropping dead or with myocarditis or with fertility issues, it's because they had COVID and, and they've got spike proteins because they had COVID. Dr. Cole's actually able to demonstrate no. These are spike proteins that are in these tissues secondary to the vaccine, and that is critical. But again, in medicine as elsewhere, you won't find what you don't look for. Mm -hmm. If people don't, if the stains aren't done, if the autopsies aren't done, if the appropriate tissue samples aren't taken, you won't be able to prove it. So we need people, we need to demand if you have a family, a family member, a loved one who ends up, God forbid, uh, dying uh, unexpectedly, you need to demand that autopsy right. and you need to demand that the appropriate stains are done on the appropriate tissues oh. so that we can document if these are vaccine related. Now, some other things that people say, you know, it, well, if, if it was going to kill you, it would kill you right away. I mean, nine months later, come on, how do you know it's the shot? Now, the other day there was a, you and I, I think said to, to each other too, 37 year old singer drops dead yeah. a few hours after his honeymoon could have been a rough honeymoon. Doesn't sound like it to me because he was vaxxed to the max as he put on his own um, information, at least two shots, maybe more. But if you don't drop dead right there in the Walgreens, some people still deny that the shot did it. So talk to me, doctor, about why people would potentially, if the shot's killing them, die nine months later, a year later. Is, is it the combination of the spike protein that continues to build up in your body? Is that what it is? Absolutely. And the, in the increased and accumulative inflammation, myocarditis can develop over a period of weeks or months. You have deposition of these proteins, the, the spike protein, you know, over a period of months. Likewise, 
with these clots that develop. They don't develop mm. overnight. These mm. fibers, these very unusual, and you and I have talked about these right. in the past. Awful. They do not have the, the same characteristics as a typical blood clot, meaning they are not gelatinous, sort of uh, readily dissolving, uh, you know, red kind of jelly-like clots. They are these long fibrous clots that have more the texture of a rubber band. Um, mm -hmm. They do include some blood components, but they don't dissolve. Those form over a period of weeks and months. So if people are going to have a stroke or a heart attack or something related to that, that doesn't necessarily happen right away. Mm -hmm. Likewise, the huge uptick we are seeing in cancers, not only new cancers, but also resurgence of cancers that had been deemed to be in remission. We're seeing very aggressive cancers in a much younger population. Um, a, a very well-known oncologist in the UK, um, Angus Dalgleish, wrote a letter to the, uh, the government in the UK saying, stop, we are seeing these massive upticks in cancers in people under the age of 40 uh, that we have never seen before, melanomas, lymphomas, colorectal cancers. And then again, as I said, seeing resurgence of very aggressive cancers. This is related, and Dr. Cole again can demonstrate how the spike proteins bind to certain tumor receptors okay. and therefore allow the tumors to grow unfettered because it blocks these, these tumor receptors. So there, there's a lot that can happen. Yes, you can end up with something that occurs within the first three to seven days following vaccination, but we're seeing lots of things that are going to take weeks, months, or potentially years um, to really rear their ugly heads. Wow. And I've talked to some of these vaccine injured people. I know you see their stories. Doctor, it's just tragic. People who, you know, used to work out. I talked to a guy who was a cop for 30 years, six, you know, four, 240, mm -hmm. worked out all the time. Can't walk to the mailbox now. I've got tons of these stories. You've seen them. It's tragic. And they're never going to get better. They, they they have trouble even being acknowledged by any medical professional right. that this is a problem. I mean, wh what do you suggest for some of these people? It's heartbreaking. Well, it, it is heartbreaking. And I think that ultimately we will see a tsunami of lawsuits. Um, the more people are starting to understand exactly how bad this was. I think we have more pressing issues. Um, however, I hate to say it, which is that there are still a lot of places, Heidi, where there are ongoing Ooh. vaccine mandates. Right. We have colleges and universities that are still places like Yale, uh, still mandating vaccines. We still have mandates for healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. We've seen an unprecedented, unprecedented, excuse me, exodus of healthcare workers from the from the system um, because they don't want these vaccines. We've seen, you know, three hundred thousand healthcare workers have left left in twenty twenty one. And, and we aren't going to get those people back unless they drop the vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, we're seeing, you know, a huge exodus from the military. Young military recruits are saying the hell with this. You know, I, I'll, I'll do something else. Bless you. Mm -hmm. I'll do Fair something enough. else. Um, I, you yeah. know, I, I'm not going to subject myself. And yeah. a lot of people are saying they're smart enough to know. I had COVID. I recovered from COVID. I've got at least some element of natural immunity. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I'm young and healthy, and the current variants are so mild. They I mean, truly, they are so mild, it's akin to a cold. And let's recall, you know, we, we aren't going to eliminate COVID. It is endemic. 
It's here to stay, Heidi. We are, it's not, we're not going to vaccinate our way out of it. We're not going to socially distance our way out of it. And we sure as heck aren't going to mask our way out of it. So it's here to stay. People should focus on getting on with their lives, but we have got to eliminate these vaccine mandates. If people choose to get an additional one uh, or a booster for reasons totally unclear, because they don't stop you from getting COVID, they don't stop you from transmitting COVID, and there isn't a single study that shows that it decreases your risk of severe illness, hospitalization, or death. Yeah. So I'm not sure why people would get a, a booster at this point. It's unbelievable to me. So let's talk about the batch. The quality control has been an issue, right? There, there's a whole website out there called How Bad Is My Batch? I know you've seen mm-hmm. it. And it, that's interesting to me that there wasn't, you know, with most products in America, we have lawyers, so products are pretty good most of the time. Uh, there's quality control when there's a product, uh, whether you get a, a prescription at the drugstore or whatever, right? Apparently, there's not a lot of quality control with these vaccines. What, what do you hear about that? Well, here's the issue. We know that about 80% of the severe adverse events appear to be associated with only 20% of the batches of the vaccine. And that's what, you know, that website, How Bad Is My Batch, you can go in and enter the actual serial number of your particular vaccine. So first you say, did I get Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, J&J, whatever, and then put in that number that appears on your vaccine card. And you can see how many adverse events have been reported. Now, many, many others may have occurred, but these are, you can see the ones that have been reported in your batch. It's very clear. Some batches have very, very few adverse events reported with them where others have really concerning numbers. So as I said, about 80% of the severe adverse events, including deaths, seem to be associated with only 20% of the batches. Now that means one of two things, if you know anything about manufacturing. As you said, that shouldn't occur. If there is reasonable quality control, you should have the same number of adverse events relatively across all batches. So either there is incredibly poor quality control uh, or none, or something more nefarious is going on. Wow. Meaning that the vaccines aren't actually the same, that there were different batches that were made, perhaps different formulations, perhaps different dosages, who all knows. Since as, as of today, these vaccines, none of them are FDA approved. None of the ones available in the United States are FDA approved. They are all still experimental. They're all only available under the emergency use authorization. Mm -hmm. These are still experimental. So you are hard pressed to actually get the, you know, what is in these and what amounts and are all of the batches identical? No one has answered that question. You would certainly be led to believe that they are not identical whether it was purposeful or because of incompetence and lack of quality control, but you couldn't possibly have this distribution of adverse events if they were in fact the same. Yeah. And if they were, you know, if there was a distribution that was different, you know, the, the, some people were getting the bad batch after one, if it was intentional, you have to wonder who those people were. Correct. That's pretty scary. That's pretty scary. Uh, speaking of bad batches, uh, I heard about a celebrity, you're not going to mention his name, uh, who recently had to cancel some shows and was sent to the hospital with uh, AFib. All right. And I'm and what, what makes me mad about this is, you know, when celebrities have been pushing this on other people, 
and now they're suffering. I, I, I don't wish anybody ill. All right. A, a part of right. me does, but part of me doesn't I'm trying to be gracious here. But when, you know, these people should speak out, you know, when Katy Perry can't open her eye for whatever reason, and some of these other people, where's Celine for the last two years? Just wondering. Right. So these people, I'm not saying it was the shot, but these people need to speak out and they're not, they are silent. They're terrified to speak out or even warn people that maybe it was a shot. There probably right. are many more suffering. Talk about that, doctor. No, you're right. Justin Bieber, you know, essentially has retired. He has stepped away. You know, his wife had a, a, stroke. Um, I mean, these are, it, it is just implausible to think that these are just random effects. Um, mm -hmm. With regard to these um, cardiac dysrhythmias, something like atrial fibrillation it, and cardiac dysrhythmias, an atypical heart rhythm, that is with all likelihood, you know, I would say essentially 100% likelihood, that is what's causing these sudden deaths, these people who die in their sleep. That's okay, a so let me stop you there for a second because you're the expert. I'm not. When you, if you're awake and you have that, do you feel it? Like, would this entertainer have felt that before he was taken to the hospital? Do you feel it or no? Well, there are very, very different brands of heart dysrhythmias. Okay. You may well feel it. Atrial fibrillation, frequently people will understand something's not right. I don't okay. feel right. I could feel okay. it. Um, other times, it's what causes sudden death. And when we talk about sudden death, when we talk about people dropping dead, this is very unlike what we've seen in the past. You know, dropping dead is a euphemism people used to say. Now we are talking about literally dropping dead. I mean, these people oh. go from a standing position to right. doing a face plant. Speaking, um, singing, eating, standing right. at the bank, and they drop dead right there. I've seen the videos. You've seen the exactly. videos. It's horrifying to me. They look up to the sky at first, and then they start spinning around sometimes, and then they drop like a sack right. of potatoes. Right. So those are heart dysrhythmias. Those are okay. toxic, fatal dysrhythmias where the heart starts beating erratically, and it just stops beating. Okay. Um, and, and it's happening with people dying in their sleep. We know, for example, there are many people have criticized this and said, oh, it's just that they're being overreported right now. It's, you know, you're, you're just sensitized to it. There really isn't an increase. Well, we know, for example, the uh, International Olympic Committee did a study well before COVID. It was back in 2008, looking at the incidence of sudden cardiac death in Olympic level athletes, so either professional athletes or professional level athletes because they're competing in the Olympics. And they did a study looking from 1988 to 2008, 30 years worth of data they looked at. And on average, there were 29 sudden deaths around the world a year, 29 sudden cardiac deaths in healthy Uber athletes. The vast majority of those 29 deaths a year on autopsy were found to have an underlying heart issue. In other words, they had an enlarged heart they didn't know about. There was something that was hadn't been diagnosed, but it was very clear on autopsy. About 90% of them had an identifiable heart issue. The other 10% didn't. 29 a year. Fast forward to 2021. We were having over 400 sudden cardiac deaths in athletes a month, a month. Mm -hmm. So we went from 29 a year to an average of 5,000 a year. Wow. Okay. Now you tell me what was different. Mm -hmm. Now you can say, okay, some percentage of them perhaps died as a result of spike proteins related to having had COVID certainly possible. Maybe it was the stress of the lockdown and people turning to drugs and alcohol could be. Maybe it was global warming. 
I don't know. <laughs> All I can tell you, Heidi, is that that is a massive increase in right. the number of young, healthy people dying suddenly. And somebody needs to account for that. Mm -hmm. And it's the silence from groups like the FDA, the CDC, the vaccine manufacturers. It's the silence on these issues. The CDC has to this day has not done an autopsy, hasn't demanded mm -hmm. an autopsy in any mm -hmm. of these. They haven't looked at these numbers coming out of theirs or their own their own system, V-Safe, they put the V, you know, theirs has been around 24 years, the vaccine adverse event reporting system. And that's a self-report and it's a largely underreported, uh, but we know we're seeing a huge number of adverse events that are purportedly related to the COVID vaccines. But back in December of 2020, right before the COVID vaccines were rolled out, the CDC put in place yet another early warning system called V-Safe. And they encouraged people to go and download the app, uh, you know, put it on, and then to report if you had any adverse events that you thought might be attributed to your vaccine, you just go on your cell phone and report those. So about 18 million people downloaded that app. Huge number of people downloaded that app. And they ended up having, I'm sorry, it was 10 million. 10 million people originally downloaded the app. And they had 800,000 people report that wow. they had such bad adverse events that they had to go to the hospital. 8%. Wow. So 8%, 10 million people is a lot of people mm -hmm. to, to have downloaded this app. 8% of them had side effects so severe they ended up in the hospital. Wouldn't you think that's something the CDC would want to report? You'd think eight percent of people, you know, this is this is the agency whose job it is to keep us safe. But instead, they, you know, essentially deep sixed that information and, and didn't report on it. So it's the silence from these agencies, I think, on top of everything else that leads me right. to believe that there's way more going on here than even you and I know about well, the silence and the denial. All right. Final question. What do you hear from Elon Musk? Uh, <laughs> back on Twitter. I'm lobbying for you. <laughs> not much. Not only, not only am I still uh, banned from Twitter, as are quite a few others, people like Dr. Peter McCullough and many other uh, who are in my group of truth warriors. Um, not only am I still not on Twitter, Heidi, but they have allowed sham accounts, one in particular that has stolen my identity, is impersonating me, and somehow got a verified blue check on Twitter. Wow. Uh, it's taking credit for all of my work. So they have allowed unvery really, it's somebody who's stolen my identity and impersonating me, they've given a blue check to while the real Dr. Kelly Victory remains banned. Um, at this point, um, I know that Elon Musk has a lot on his plate to fix at Twitter, but you would certainly think that people who are impersonating physicians and stealing mm -hmm. identities um, should be banned. So if you're on Twitter, if you happen mm -hmm. to be one of the people on Twitter, I would uh, ask you humbly to go out there, tag mm -hmm. Elon Musk, and tell them to take down the sham account at Doc Kelly Victory, okay, which is not today. me. Okay. Uh, and tag Elon Musk and say the real uh, doctor at Dr. Kelly Victory uh, okay. remains re remains banned. Um, okay. So it, it's uh, he's, they've got a lot of work to do. And uh, censorship is still alive and well.
Yeah, it sure is. But God bless you for continuing. You and some truth warriors are really out there continuing to say what you've said all along, which is you had questions. And that's what we've said from the beginning. And, you know, we knew it would be bad. And I'm not a doctor, but just as casual observer, I knew this wasn't good, but I had no idea it would be like this, doctor. No idea. No, I, I, I didn't either. And frankly, um, I'm hard pressed to say where it ends, Heidi, because if um, Dr. McCullough and others are correct, that we actually are going to start seeing transmission of mRNA and spike protein from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated, if we are going to continue to see production of spike protein in the vaccinated uh, because they are not eliminating that mRNA, over a period of many, many months, um, then we are going to, as I said, see not only a tsunami of severe medical illness, disability, death, but a tremendous amount of suffering. And mm. uh, this is perhaps a, not just the, the crime of the century. This is the greatest crime, I believe, that was ever perpetrated on humanity. Yeah, it's unbelievable to me. I think I'm going to stick with my unvaccinated husband. I'm not taking a chance out there, Kelly. Good call. <laughs> I'm not Good. doing it. Not- Good call. If you needed, a, if you needed any additional motivation to uh, to be in a monogamous, committed relationship, <laughs> that 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 that, I- that would do it. And your website is earlycovidcare.org. Earlycovidcare.org, and you're on Getter. Right. right. Kelly, ho- Victory MD. Kelly Victory MD on yeah. Getter and hopefully someday soon okay. uh, back at Dr. Dr. Kelly Victory okay. uh, on Twitter, which was my previous Twitter handle. Yeah. Well, I'll get I'll get on Elon Musk. You know, he and our buds. Thank you. I <laughs> Thank appreciate you, doctor, it. As always, so appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Heidi. Yeah. Talk soon. Always a privilege to talk to Dr. Kelly Victory and so great of her to always give her time to my audience over the last couple of years. It's just a tremendous benefit to society, I believe. Don't forget you can follow me Sunday nights live as I do radio in St. Louis on 97.1 FM Talk. During the week, I do podcasts and videos and you can find the videos at Rumble or at HeidiHarris.com and the podcast like this. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. Please you know, like the podcast, subscribe, tell somebody else about this. Please share this with somebody who needs to hear some actual facts and not just the fear that the mainstream media is just pumping out day and night. And remember, it's okay to get disgusted. I do too, but do not despair. God is still in charge. Here's Tony Scottwell. (laughs) 